And he's like, what do you want to do now? I was like, honestly, I just want to go home and take a nap. And he was like, okay. So we go home and I change out of my cute little dress into my pajamas and I lay down on the couch and I'm like, babe, it's fine. Like I had so many of my favorite things today. Like don't, don't beat yourself up. This was great. And then he said, will you be my favorite thing for the rest of our lives? And he had a ring mm. in a felt cheeseburger that his friend had made for him. And do you know what I said to him, Kevin? I said, I'm in my jammies. <laughs> What's up, my friend? And welcome to Grit, Grace, and Inspiration. I am your host, Kevin Lowe. 20 years ago, I awoke from a life-saving surgery only to find that I was left completely blind. And since that day, I've learned a lot about life a lot about living, and a lot about myself. And here on this podcast, I want to share those insights with you. Because friend, if you are still searching for your purpose, still trying to understand why, or still left searching for that next right path to take, we'll consider this to be your stepping stone to get you from where you are to where you want to be. What's happening, my friend? Welcome back to the podcast. How are you today? It is episode number 238, and I am beyond excited to have you here with me. I don't know at what point in your journey you are in, but if you are somebody who are ready for a change in life, you would love to start your own business, have a new lifestyle, something that fits you a little bit better, well, friend, isn't the new year a perfect opportunity for it? 2024 is a month away, and I would love to help you get clear on your life's purpose and align that with the lifestyle and business of your dreams. You can sign up for my two-week coaching package called the Purpose Driven Business Breakthrough. Sign up today by visiting gritgraceinspiration.com slash business. That is gritgraceinspiration.com slash business. So my friend, today I am excited to get to introduce you to a woman who is going to have us feeling the feels. We are getting ready to be taken on what I'm just simply going to say is a roller coaster of life. The roller coaster, well, it's named Bevan Farron. Bevan is our featured guest today. And Bevan's story is one that I promise you is going to have you gasping. You are going to be in disbelief right off the bat because Bevan has experienced the highs and the lows of life and all the messiness in between, just like you and me. I encourage you as you listen to Bevan's story today, to stay tuned in though, because towards the end of today's episode, we really switch from Bevan sharing her story to really offering up some truly valuable insights on life, things that are quite possibly game changers, things that give you a little bit better thought process about your own life. And that's exactly what I want to happen in this podcast today is for you to be entertained, for you to feel the feels, but more so for it to be able to make an impact on your own life. So if you're ready for it, if you're ready for a woman who has been through a lot and she stands strong today, 
but she's not afraid to share the good times and the bad. This is today's episode. It's a love story. It's about love and loss. It's about heartbreak and gifts. It is episode number 238. My friend, I introduce you to Bevan Farron. I tell my story of how I got to here, and I I always start in 2019. And I think that things actually, if I'm honest, started further back than that. So when we talk about the spark, what's kind of funny is truly the spark was my house burned down. And (laughs) that's why I was like, well, I kind of have to say that because you said spark. So I'm going to tell that a little bit of that story and then jump into more of what got me where I am now. But my house burned down in 2010 in Chicago. And that ended up bringing me to Ohio because it took three years for that to be rebuilt. And I couldn't afford rent and a mortgage at the same time. So I came to Ohio to spend time with my family. But the reason I bring that part up is that that was... Looking back on it, that was when I really saw, and it was the first time I remember saying to somebody, I said this to the contractors, we can't choose what happens to us. We can only choose how we respond. And Mm -hmm. throughout everything, and I've had a lot of ups and downs, as I know you have, we can't choose what happens. And and we can choose to like stay, stay stuck or stay feeling like, why is this happening to me? Why feeling like a bit of a victim to circumstance? Or we can choose how we respond differently. So where my current story really started was in 2019. My husband, Mark, surprised me on Mother's Day saying that he was going to take us to France for my 40th birthday, which would be six months later. Two weeks after that, I lost my job. And it was the third time that I had lost my job in under 10 years. I said to Mark at that point, I am tired of putting the financial health of our family into the hands of any one person. And I don't want to do it anymore. I I think I started that conversation by saying, babe, I'm not going to look for a job, which (laughs) in his mind, he was an engineer. (laughs) So he was probably like brakes screeching to a halt in his head because we had a two-year-old and a (laughs) four-month-old and we were not prepared to be a one-income family at all. But I said, I, you know, I don't want to keep doing this and putting into one person's hands. And so I want to start my own company. I want to work doing what I've been doing for the past 10 years as a launch manager and a coach and a brand strategist. And I want to use that with small businesses and entrepreneurs to help them grow their businesses. And I said, let's just try this as a proof of concept. And if I can make $5,000 by the end of August, we'll consider this a viable concept. So that was May. So June, I made $0. July, I made $1,000. August, I did hit my $5,000 mark. And by the time we were about to leave for France, I had made $35,000 in my business. So it was growing and it was growing quickly, which felt really, really good. It still felt a little crazy to go on this trip to France, though, with two young kiddos. We were leaving home. We were going to be gone for, I think, all of like 39 hours or something. It was so fast and furious. But we went, we ended up going, had this beautiful trip, the two of us just exploring Bordeaux together, celebrating my 40th birthday, drinking delicious wine, eating fantastic food, and just being together is who we were before we had these 
crazy stressful careers and our kids and even before we were married. And Mark looked at me at one point and he said, I feel like I'm reconnecting to the real you, which felt Mm -hmm. so true. Like it was breaking through all of these things we had built up over the time we'd been together. We came home and it was the week of Thanksgiving, which is my very favorite holiday, not just because it also usually is my birthday, (laughs) but we got ready around the house. Mark took the whole week off work. We took our daughter to her first movie theater show. It was pre-pandemic. So we are having 25 people come. Mark's parents drove in, my family, our best friends, and we celebrated Thanksgiving with our two little kiddos running around and just being with the people we loved the most. The next morning, I went upstairs to wake up Mark and he wasn't breathing. He had passed Mm -hmm. away in the middle of the night, completely unexpectedly. He had undiagnosed heart disease. One of his arteries was 95% blocked and the other was 50% blocked. He weighed the same that he did in high school. We had no idea that this was even in the realm of possibility. And now all of a sudden I was the solo parent to two kids under the age of three. I had this brand new business that uh, yes, had been growing, but had not really stood any sort of test of time yet. And I'm doing all of it without the love of my life and my best friend and my biggest cheerleader by my side. About a month after that, I made a post on Facebook talking about losing Mark and the trip that we had taken and my birthday. I ended that post by saying, whenever you're faced with a choice, just take the damn trip. That really resonated with people. And I was getting a lot of messages from people saying that the trip they had taken with their dad before he passed away was so special, or they were going to say no to go on this family adventure, but now they were going to say yes, because they saw how important it could be. And more importantly, what I started to talk to people about was that we can't keep pushing our dreams to the side. We need to see that it that now is the time to take the chance on ourselves, which is why the movement that I that I lead is called the take the damn chance movement, because I started to look at the hardest things that I've been through in my life. I told you my house burned down. I lost my husband. I became a widow at 40. My kiddos are IVF babies. So I've been through years of fertility treatments and a miscarriage. I lost my dad to cancer when I was 24. So I looked at all those hard things and then I looked at the most amazing things that I've done. So growing my business successfully, having those kiddos, having a really connected, intentional relationship with Mark. And I asked myself, what is it that I do differently than other people? I'm not saying better. I'm saying differently in order to navigate these situations with some grace and some creativity. And that is when I started the the DAM framework. So it's it does stand for something, Kevin. I don't just like swear a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thinking to myself, man, my nana ain't gonna oh, like this. My episode. my daughter, my daughter who's six and a half, goes to school and she's like, Hey, Miss Jasmine, I got my damn t-shirt in my back. <laughs> so it does stand for something. It stands for decide and declare, attend your own party, moments, not minutes, and now is the time. And everything that I do. Every amazing thing in my life that I've ever created has been because of that. So 
you know, like that's when, when Mark and I were building our relationship was like, we decided we were on the same team and we would declare that to each other. You know, when I decided to grow my business, I knew that now is the time we can't just keep pushing things off to the side. And I used this same framework because once I started to see it, I couldn't unsee it. And so I started to use it intentionally to create things going forward. I used it to write my book. I used it to begin my speaking career. And I used it for my biggest dream to date, which was that when Mark passed away, we were about 60 days away from starting our next round of IVF. And I've always wanted to be the mom of three. And knowing that I was losing the dream of being a mom of three at the same instant that I lost the love of my life didn't, it felt unfathomable. And so in July of 2021, I gave birth to Mark's and my third child 20 months after he passed away using embryos that we had frozen in a previous IVF attempt. So I knew that was my dream. That was, that was my damn manifesto. It was the thing I wanted more than anything else in my life. And I brought it to literal life using this framework. Wow. 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 Okay. Crazy, crazy story. Take me back though. I want to, want to unpack a, a little bit yeah. more about even your relationship. When, when in this journey, you talked about, about the house burning down, mm-hmm. about moving. When though, did you meet your husband? <laughs> so I met him in August of 2011. So I had moved, my house burned down in October of 2010. So actually, I just passed my fire anniversary. It was October 16th of 2010. And so it was the next summer when I said, okay, I can't, I can't keep staying. Here's the crazy thing, Kevin. So not just did my house burn down. So on September 25th of 2010, I found out that my company was being sold. So basically I was losing my job. So October 1st, I lost my job. October 12th, my car got broken into. And at that point, I said to a friend of mine, like, I feel I don't believe in signs, but I feel like maybe there is kind of a sign here. <laughs> like you, <laughs> it's time for you to take a break from Chicago. And then four days later, my home burned down. And so I was kind of ready for a potential change. And so I went back to Ohio. I came back to Ohio. That's where I live now and was just going to spend some time with my mom. And during that time, all my friends were married and starting families and I was still single. So I was like, well, I'll just get on eHarmony and like get out of the house. And that's when I met Mark. So we met August 31st. I was still fully planning on moving back to Chicago. But by Christmas that year, we were living together. And then the next Thanksgiving, we got engaged and then we got married and, you know, the rest is history. Wow. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So that happened quick. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on how you like how you define quick. But yeah, I mean, we so the house burned down the next year I met Mark and then we were married in 2013. So about two years after we met. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd call that pretty quick. The reason I'm laughing about that is I remember before Mark proposed, it was probably like a month or so before Mark proposed, two months. And I was asking him, like, so like, when are we getting married, basically? And he was like, he was an engineer, so he was very thoughtful about things. And he was like, Drew, we were sitting at a sushi restaurant and he took a, a chopstick wrapper and he had a pencil and he was like, okay, so here's where we are. And then it was, I guess it was like August of of that year. And he's like, I feel like 
next year, like a year from then, I'll propose and then we'll get married and then we'll have a kid and then we'll buy a new house, whatever. And I like grabbed the pencil from him and I was like, does this thing have an eraser? I was like, eater, eater. Let's talk about what if you were to propose like here? (laughs) And so I was just like, I don't know. It sounds so funny because it sounds like totally the girl with the biological clock ticking. But for me, it was like we knew we knew that we were meant to be together. And I was a little bit like, why wait? So I didn't know he was actually just saying that because he had already planned the (laughs) proposal and was going to propose on my birthday. But yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. so tell me about that then. You, you, you alluded to it. Let's hear what was the proposal. Oh, my gosh. These are stories I have never told on a podcast interview before. So this is so fun. OK, <laughs> so the funny story. All right. So we'll talk about my birthday. So when I when Mark and I were dating and I thought we were going to get engaged, I was actually working for a company doing work around love and relationships. So I started in the digital marketing space, producing summits, and I was producing a summit called The Art of Love. And it was supported by the soulmate secret. So it was like I was surrounded by like love and relationships. And I was doing research on the most romantic proposals ever. And so I was I don't know if you remember back in that time. So that was 2011. Some guy had like hired a marching band to propose to his fiance and like all these flash mobs were a big thing at that time. Yes. Yes. So I would send Mark these uh, videos. I'd be like, hey, babe, look what I found today. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So he it was my birthday was the day after Thanksgiving. And he told me because I was, I had a big launch going on at the time. And he's like, well, you can't work on that day. And I was like, what? I have to, it's Black Friday. And he was like, okay, you can work between seven and nine, between 11 and one and like three to five. There was like, there were like two, two, two (laughs) hour sections. Like, you're giving me four hours. And he was like, yes. And I told my boss that. And she told me later, she's like, I knew something was up. And I was like, I mean, I guess I did too. (laughs) So he had said when he proposed, he was going to give me, he wanted me to have as many of my favorite things as possible. And at that point, my five favorite things were board games, cheeseburgers, wine. Oh my gosh. Cupcakes fireworks and sometimes baseball. Like, so there was like, (laughs) I was like, how do I not know these anymore? And so we got up and he has, he had decorated the entire first floor of the house with balloons, which happened to have fireworks on them. I saw later his mom. Oh, pancakes. How did I forget? Fancy pancakes. Okay. His mom was making like a pancake breakfast and he had bought this gazebo and he was going to get up and put it together and propose under the gazebo. Well, the temperature dropped 20 degrees that night and the wind kicked up. So he couldn't do it. When we finally put it together, it took the two of us eight hours. So I don't know what he thought was thinking, (laughs) but that was supposed to be the first proposal. Well, that fell through. So then we were, I did my whatever, 90 minutes of work. He's like, it's time to go. We went, we were meeting, we went to lunch at our favorite cheeseburger restaurant, cheeseburgers. And my sister was there. Surprise. My sister was there. And, but it was, they didn't take reservations and the wait was going to be like, two hours. (laughs) So I was like, oh, babe, it's fine. Let's just go down to the street to the next and this other restaurant that smelled kind of funny. And 
did not have cheeseburgers. And he was like getting visibly agitated. And so I'm like, okay, babe, it's fine. Like, this is a great birthday. Good job. Because I told myself the night before, like, if he doesn't propose, you can't, you can't ruin your birthday by being disappointed. Like he's clearly put a lot of thought and effort into this. So we are driving home and he says, man, I just wanted you to have a cheeseburger today. And he's like, what do you want to do now? I was like, honestly, I just want to go home and take a nap. And he was like, okay. So we go home and I change out of my cute little dress (laughs) into my pajamas and I lay down on the couch and I'm like, babe, it's fine. Like, I had so many of my favorite things today. Like, don't don't beat yourself up. This was great. And then he said, will you be my favorite thing for the rest of our lives? And he had a ring Mm. in a felt cheeseburger that his friend had made for him. And do you know what I said to him, Kevin? I said, I'm in my jammies. (laughs) But then I said, you didn't actually ask me to marry. I was like, are you driving? Like, you didn't ask. And so, you know, whatever we I said, yes, our friends came over. We had champagne. It was it was wonderful. But it is kind of this funny comedy of errors of like how hard he tried so many times. It's one of my favorite stories about our relationship. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That is so adorable. Yeah. I love that. You know, oh my goodness. The funny thing too was the night before, there were supposed to be like six of us at at my Thanksgiving. And he was unpacking okay. everything into the into the refrigerator. He had like six bottles of champagne. I was like, babe, yeah. what are you doing? And he's like, we like mimosas. I'm like, legit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, no, no. That is absolutely adorable. I love it all the way down to the to the ring holder, the felt little cheese. Yeah, with little That's like amazing. stitched sesame seeds on top. It's incredible. Yeah, I still have it. <laughs> that is, <laughs> the, oh my gosh, that is so cute, so cute. So you guys, you got engaged. Yeah. Did you get married soon after? It was a year later that we got married. So um, we had a Christmas wedding, basically three days after. But you know, one of the things that I think is interesting, kind of to talk about, and you didn't ask this, but I'm going to answer it. (laughs) You know, I talk a lot about our fertility journey and there's so many people listening who've probably been on some kind of fertility journey, but I knew like on our third date (laughs) that we were going to have to do that because Mark told me, so he had lupus, he had systemic lupus and he had chemotherapy when he was younger to help basically restart his immune system. And so he had been told and his mom had the forethought for them to like save five vials of sperm in case he wanted to be a parent in the future, which was incredible forethought. But so he had been told and he knew his entire life that he was probably going to have to have assisted reproductive help. And so he told me that early on in our relationship, because he was like, look, if you want kids, which he knew that I did, he's like, I just want to be honest with you that we're probably going to have to go down this path. And, and I was okay with that. Like he and I both wanted kids. I knew it was a journey we were going to have to go on. And it was almost for me, because I talked to a lot of people who go down the fertility journey we kind of skipped over the what's wrong phase, which I think actually made it a little bit easier for me because I knew what was wrong. I wasn't, we weren't trying to get pregnant for five years, not knowing what was happening. Yes. So I think, yeah, that would, but it was, it was such a testament to our communication where we were just really 
direct and open with each other about what was going on. And I think that helped us create a really strong relationship. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, how long were you guys married before you took the trip and everything kind of changed? We got married in 2013 and then Mark passed away in 2019. So we were married just over six years. Not long enough. Yeah. Just under six. Yeah. Just six years. Yeah. So this trip that you guys took that you told us about, Mm -hmm. it was to France. Yes. Why France? (laughs) The better question is why Bordeaux? So, um, because truly, I don't know why Mark picked Bordeaux. I don't know why he picked France. He knew that I spoke French. He knew that I loved French. He picked Bordeaux because he wanted it to be a place that neither of us had ever been to before. He wanted us to explore it together because when he gave me the itinerary, and I saw it. I was like, babe, we have to fly from here to Detroit, to Amsterdam, to Bordeaux. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of plane time for a very short period of walking around a city. And I said, wouldn't it be like, wouldn't Paris make more sense? And he was like, Paris is a cop out. <laughs> <was, laughs> nobody's ever said that ever. <laughs> yeah, so he picked that and it was so cute because he had like written out an entire walking tour itinerary, which went like hotel to wine bar. And he like was like 0.7 miles in 15 minutes or something. Like he had marked out every distance and amount of time. And he was like, and then from the wine bar, we're going to go to this monument. And from the monument, we're going to go to this bakery. From the bakery, we're going to go to this cathedral. From the cathedral, we're going to go to this brew pub. Like we were very much like like sight drink, sight drink. <laughs> like I yes. you walk through, which is the best way to see a place, I believe. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, so I'm kind of curious on this. Is is this how you would kind of summarize y'all's entire relationship of adventure? Was there a lot of downtime? Like, I, I guess I'm kind of wondering, like. What brought up to do this spur of the moment, like the surprise trip to to France? What led up to that? Oh, good question. No, we had a lot of downtime. (laughs) I mean, I say downtime in that we, you know, we by the end we had two kids. And so we didn't have a lot of downtime for anything. But I think the trip came so Mark worked for Honda and Honda always had what they call shutdown twice a year, always around Fourth of July and always around Christmas. And our first full year. So, you know, we, we got together in August and so that I don't count this Christmas as like our first full Christmas, but in 2012, we decided to spend Christmas in Jamaica. And we said, look, we're single. We weren't single. We were married. We were in a relationship. (laughs) We were not married. What I meant by that was we don't have kids. Yes. We were engaged. We didn't have kids. And so we, for a couple of years, we called it our white sandy Christmases. And so we would just go spend a couple of days laying by the pool and people would always say, oh, did you go see this waterfall or this ruins? I'm like, no, we literally all we wanted to do (laughs) was sit by a pool, read books, play card games together have some cocktails that actually I think was more the definition of our relationship was that we just enjoyed being together. And that meant a lot of times it was playing games together, playing games with our friends, going to a beer festival, 
but just as often like sitting on our back deck. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. At the time that that Mark passed away, how old were your daughters? So my my oldest daughter was two and my son was 10 months old. And so Guinevere, my, she was almost three. She was two and a half. She really remembers Mark more than Jonathan does and definitely more than Maristella because Maristella wasn't even born yet. And I've said to her, she's now six and a half. And I say, you know, Guinevere, you and I have a really important job. It's our job to tell the stories, to tell the stories about daddy and let Jonathan and Maristella know about him. And it's it's really cool now to see because Jonathan talks a lot about daddy, too. And I think he remembers him, but I don't I think he remembers him through Guinevere and I. Yes. Which is yes. fun. Yeah. So remind me what you said at the beginning. How long after your husband passed away did you decide to go for having a third child? Oh, I mean, I knew right away. <laughs> I didn't talk about it right away because it did seem completely crazy. For me, the decision was so easy. The The execution took work, but... I knew pretty quickly, like, I'm not going to give this up. I knew that it was an option because I knew we had the embryo frozen. And I knew I wanted, you know, obviously I wasn't like the next day calling the doctor. I actually spent a lot of time stuck in fear around whether or not I could do it because... So so when you do IVF or do any kind of fertility stuff, you have to sign a bunch of paperwork that you don't think you're ever going to need to worry about. I remember when Mark and I signed it, you have to answer things like, well, if you get divorced, what happens to the embryo? If somebody dies, what happens? If both of you die, what happens? And I remember us sitting there, we were like 35 or 36 at the time. And so we, we didn't even cross our minds. We were, I was like, okay, babe, I guess like if I die, you can have the embryo. Like not even thinking, you know, like, it, like such yeah. gallows humor to say that to each other. At the time, but I remember it and but I couldn't remember what we had said. So I couldn't remember like which box we had checked. And so I was terrified that I was going to call the doctor's office and they're going to be like, oh, well, sorry, you guys said no. Mm -hmm. And I was in my mind, like mentally preparing for a fight, like a legal fight if I needed to. But that was one of the things actually. And I talk about this a lot when I think about. So I, I teach something called the pad method, which is when we're spun up in our thoughts and we're anxious and we're nervous and overwhelmed, a lot of times that's just our thinking. And the way you can know the difference between anxiety and fear is if there's actually action to take. And so to get out of that, you pause and get present in your body. You acknowledge how you're feeling and then you do something. So I spent a lot of time just stuck up in my head. But when I finally was like, okay, let me get back into the present I don't know whether or not I can use these embryos or not, but I do know that the doctor knows. And so I would like get present and I would say how I was feeling. And then I would say, okay, the thing I need to do is call the doctor. I'm like, nope, not ready yet. So then I would try it again. And so eventually I called the doctor and I told them what happened and they said, okay, you know, you are, you are allowed to use these. And then we kind of started down that path. And I started, I'm, I'm working on the memoir of this story. So I know these dates now and it's so eerie. The first appointment with the doctor about this particular 
birth was at the end of September, which just lines up really weird with my fire. And my, Mm. when I went, because I was looking at my calendar and they said, okay, come back on October 1st to get your first blood test done. Well, that was the day I lost my job back in 2010. And it's also Mark's birthday. And I was like, Ooh, Mm. that's weird. And then we did the embryo transfer on November 16th, which meant that I found out that I was pregnant just a few days before the anniversary of Mark's passing. Mm. So within that first year, I had gotten pregnant. And then, yeah, in July of 2021 is when I gave birth to my youngest daughter, Maristella. Wow, 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 wow. Being pregnant was, um, (laughs) was, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, that already messes with emotions in, in, in life. How was that? with what you're processing yeah, and now you're pregnant on top of it with your husband's child who's no longer with you. Yeah. There were a couple of moments that were really surreal. So first was, you know, not only was I doing this, but it was also the middle of the pandemic. And so when I went for the first couple of appointments to the doctor, there were no men in the waiting room, because at that time they weren't letting you bring anyone to an appointment. And so even though there might've been a husband or a partner or even just another female partner, right? The only person who was allowed to go to the appointments was just the woman who was going to be pregnant. And that was both weird. It kind of normalized my experience in a way, but it also broke my heart for the women going through it. And I had friends who were who were going through it at the time. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this Mark would have hated this. Mark would have hated to not be able to be there holding my hand. So there were yeah. definitely some surreal moments, things that were hard. I mean, obviously, I was also 40. So my body was older than my previous two pregnancies. And I also had two young children. So all of those things just made the pregnancy different. But the things that were really weird were like when I had to decide who was going to be in the operating room with me during my C-section. Because that's a weird thing to have to think about if your husband has passed away. It's the same thing I had to think about who was going to walk me down the aisle because my dad had passed away. And it's just there's things Mm. that we don't think about culturally of, you know, it's just like, oh, well, if you have a good relationship with your dad, your dad's going to walk you down the aisle. If you're if you are giving birth to your husband's child, then probably he's going to be there unless there's, you know, he's caught in Nevada. I don't know. Like, um, <laughs> So that was weird. And then the I have had in each of I've had three C-sections and in each of those operations, I've had a panic attack under the anesthesia. And the first time mm. we didn't know what was happening and Mark was still out in the hallway and he was like, let me in. I, I know what to do to help her. And he came in and he got me through it. And and it, he is amazing. He was amazing. And then the, with Jonathan, we told the anesthesiologist, hey, here's what happened last time. Here's what's probably going to happen again. Here's my trigger phrase. Don't say things like, if you can talk, you can breathe. Because when you're having a panic attack, that's like the worst thing you can say to somebody. <laughs> now imagine you're also numb from the armpits down. Yes. And so, and it happened again. And so with my 
my third C-section, my sister, my oldest sister was actually the one in the operating room with me. And I said to her, here's what's probably going to happen. And here's what you need to do in order to get me through it. And it happened again. And she got me through it. The thing that kind of set it off was that it was like all women in the operating room and one doc, one male doctor who was assisting and he like popped his head up and it caught me so off guard because he looked a little bit like Mark that it just started me like mm. hyperventilating. So mm. yeah, that was hard. I mean, there were definitely, there's still moments of just hardness, like birthdays are hard. Because it's like, yeah. I'm so excited for my kids, but I miss Mark. Yeah. This time of year from August 31st to February 23rd, we have a birthday or an anniversary like every two weeks. And so it's just, a, I feel like these six months, I navigate this minefield of emotions every year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 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 Talk to me about just being a mom. <laughs> I, when, when I say that about about being a mom is now a single parent and as a woman going through the loss of her husband yeah. while at the same time having children to care for yeah, and now raising uh, another child that she's pregnant with. Yeah. What, what was life like during those first few years and, and, and even today? Yeah. I mean, it's only been four years, so it, it really still feels like it's in those first few years still. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that we as we as parents have to remember that we're never perfect parents. And I always say I'm not a perfect parent, but I am the perfect parent for my kids. And I'm really proud of that because I think I'm a really good mom for them. I may not be a good mom for everybody, but I'm a really good mom for them. The what it showed me. So my oldest daughter is the, what has this level of empathy that I have actually rarely seen in a human being when I was putting them to bed shortly after Mark had passed away. So she was two and a half and I was reading them a story and I started crying and she came up and she put her hands one on each side of my face. And she's like, don't cry, mommy. Daddy loves you so much. And I don't know <laughs> that she really truly got it because I think there's still times where she's like, when is daddy coming home? I mean, she does that in a way of like, it's not fair that daddy didn't get to see yeah. me when I was bigger. And, but she, it, it just rang so strongly for me. First of all, I was like, oh my gosh, my two-year-old is comforting me. And, but she, she just has this level of, of the ability to like feel for people. And so it's taught me about emotions a lot. And that, and it's, it's, again, it's something I do in my work all the time. I talk about there are, there's no such thing as a bad emotion. There are just emotions. And then we attach connotations to them. And we think being sad or being angry is bad and being happy and excited is good, but that's not true. Like I, so I tell my kids all the time, like, it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be happy. And when they're sad, we can talk about it and we can talk about daddy and we can, I can say to them, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to look at photos? Do you want to watch a video? Do you want to blow kisses to the moon? And so I think that as a mom and as the solo parent and a widow raising kids, that it has just showed me the power of being present, not to fix things. Like I can't 
I can't lie to my kids and say, well, maybe daddy will come back next month. So I'm not trying to fix it, but I can just be present and say, well, what can we do right now? And that has been just really, I don't know, it's it's definitely been the biggest lessons of my life. And I use these same yeah. things. Like I talked about the pad method earlier, right? My daughter, Guinevere, and her brother, Jonathan, my son, were fighting <laughs> as they do because they're brother and sister. And she was just so upset. And I said, what is wrong? And she like ran into one of the bedrooms and I followed her. I'm like, what is wrong? She goes, Jonathan almost tripped me and I almost fell on the bed and hit my face. And I was like, okay, did you do any of those things? She's like, no, but it almost happened. And so I walked her through that same pad method. I was like, okay, honey, let's just take a couple of breaths and like get here in the moment and tell me what happened. And, you know, she told me again, I said, okay, so can you name all the things you're feeling? Like, you're probably feeling a little angry. She's like, yeah, I'm angry. He almost tripped me. Like, okay, heard. And are you like frustrated? And were you scared? And like, we walked through all those things. And then I said, okay, what can we do about it? Like, is there anything to do about the fact that you almost tripped? And she said, no. And I said, okay, well, would you like a hug? She said, yes. I said, do you want to have a little dance party? And that just shifted her out of that, which what could have been a 45 minute meltdown. It got her out of it in less than five minutes. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful. Yeah. That is awesome. Your your profession that, that you you talk about, is this the same thing that you started back before you guys went on your trip? No, no what I started okay. then was just basically like business strategy, launch strategy, like how do you get a promotion out into the world? Because I'm really good at getting stuff done. And so that was that was what I did back then. And I did that. I continued to do that through 2020. The end of 2020 is when this Take the Damn Chance movement really started to be something. I was thinking it would happen in 2021. But in 2020, in September of, again, these like September, October is like a big, big two (laughs) months for me. But September, I found out that the restaurant where Mark and I had met was going to close down because of the pandemic. And so Mark and I were ridiculously cheesy. And every year on our, the anniversary of our first date, we would go back to the same restaurant, sit in the same two seats, which were like the worst seats in the bar. (laughs) He didn't know this on our first anniversary, but I wore the same clothes. So then after that, we like always wore the same clothes and we took the same, I know, ridiculously cheesy, (laughs) but we went for it. Like we were all in with each other. It's like, oh, you're going to be cheesy. Well, here, let me like throw some cheddar on top of that. Like, um, and so we took the same selfie in front of the sign. And when I heard that the restaurant was closing, I was like, I really want that sign. And I put out another post on social media and said, does anyone know the owners of this restaurant? And that like it got shared like 70 times. People were reaching out to the owners. (laughs) These poor owners were like, I don't know what's happening. All we know is our (laughs) restaurant is closing down and you're talking to us about this sign. And asked if I could get the sign and they couldn't. They were like, it's everything has already been sent to auction. And so Mm. people were reaching out and they were like, how can we help you? Can we start a GoFundMe? (laughs) It's like, no, guys, this is a sign. Like people started to GoFundMe after my house burned down. Different situation. This is a sign. (laughs) And but but people were really wanting to be involved and participate. And so I started the take the day. It was then called the take the damn trip community. I hadn't changed it yet and started this community. I said, look, we're going to 
pre-sell t-shirts. I don't know what they look like because you can come into this community. You can submit a design. We'll vote on the design. If I, hopefully I'll make enough money to get the sign. And if we have anything left over, then we're going to donate it to this adoption fund for this couple who that's like their big dream that they're going after. And NBC came out and interviewed me about it. And so it really took off. We raised $6,000 selling t-shirts. I got the sign. And in fact, some my friend just texted me yesterday and he was like, hey, happy got the sign anniversary. It was just yesterday <laughs> that we <laughs> that we got the sign back in 2020. And it's hanging on my front porch. It fits perfectly. It's just so crazy. So that started the Take the Damn Chance movement into what it was being. And so in then 2021, I started shifting everything that I do into this do the damn thing, take the damn chance movement. So now whether I'm working with a business client or somebody who wants to write a book or somebody who wants to expand their family, we go through the same process, which is you craft your damn manifesto, you find your damn people and you get your damn results. And it fits for everything. It fits for your health. It fits for your relationships. It fits for side projects, everything. Yeah, that is powerful. Oh my gosh. And I love the story about the sign. <laughs> my do- my yeah. daughter asked me to plug it in the other day. I was like, I never plug it in and turn it on because I don't want people to think I'm like an Airbnb or a restaurant. And then I come knocking on the door. <laughs> yeah. So, so describe to me what the sign looks like or what it says. It says Brazen Head Pub. It's about five or six feet across. And it looks like just an old Irish pub sign. I mean, it lights up. So it's like yeah. a, a it's like a rectangle with a circle behind it. And it just says Brazen Head Pub. And it, yeah, it fits. My friend is an artist and she helped me hang the sign on my porch. And she said, if you had asked me to design you a sign for this space, I couldn't have done something better. <laughs> it's hilarious. I love it. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. I love your story. I love your outlook on life. And I love the way that that you literally have not stopped moving forward. Yeah, kind of. You know, I <laughs> kind of. Well, what, I wanted, what, what the, you, the reason I say that is because I think sometimes people do hear me say, like, talk about my story and think that I just like popped up out of bed the next day and was like, I'm going to find the silver lining and start a movement. And that's just not true. And I want to honor that for people because there were so many days, there are still many, many days where I just feel completely bowled over by grief. You know, when, especially right after Mark passed away, there were so many days where I was just curled up on the floor of the closet sobbing. And even now, like these last few months have felt really, really hard. And even just because of, you know, just stuff going on. And when somebody asks me, like, why does this feel especially hard? I'm like, because now I'm dealing with this without Mark. And he was such a grounding force to me. And we really worked well with each other. And so one of the things I teach in the micro and now is a time is micro actions and micro actions are the smallest possible action that you will actually take. And in the days that Mark right after Mark passed away, my micro actions consisted of opening my eyes, pushing the covers back. You know, it was it was just that was all I could do without feeling completely paralyzed. Now, I don't think about things in that same 
micro micro action because over time micro actions do get bigger and they come faster and easier. And so, but when I still find that, like when I find myself frustrated with my business, because I feel like, oh, I'm not hitting my numbers or things aren't going as easily, then I go back to my damn manifesto and I go back to micro actions. So I definitely agree that I have, I continue to move hopefully forward. I know I'm moving. Hopefully it's in the right direction. And I, I do believe that we still cannot choose what happens to us and we can always choose how we respond. And I partially believe that because if I wanted to create additional suffering for myself, I would stay stuck in the, I want Mark back. And when is he coming back and why can't he come back? And of course I want Mark back and I don't understand why he can't come back, but that's me fighting reality. So instead I have to say, is dealt kind of a crappy hand by losing my husband And my response is to share the stories with my kids so that they still feel loved by him and share the stories with the world so that I can do what you kind of talked about of like inspire people to navigate their own deeply challenging experiences. Thank you for sharing that. I I feel as though that doesn't get spoken about enough. Mm hmm. Is is it so easy for us to get stuck on the highlights? Mm-hmm. I didn't lose somebody, but I lost a part of yeah. me, and that was my eyesight. And at the time of me and you recording this interview, I'm a week away from my 20th anniversary. Wow. And I can tell you that 20 years later, it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. But there's still a part of me at this time of year It wouldn't take a calendar to tell me, but there's a part of me that knows it. And there's a part of me that starts to reflect back Mm -hmm. on things. Mm -hmm. And I have had so many blessings, but it's still a piece of your heart that's missing. Yeah. And it's hard sometimes. And sometimes, like you said, sometimes you just want to be able to cry Mm -hmm. and you just want to do that. And and I feel it's so important for it to be said that there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah. You know, that that it's important for us to, to move forward, but it's also important for us to just let ourselves feel the feels. Yeah. Yeah. So I just had a, an interview recently where I talked about this. I, I really struggle with people who especially if you're in some kind of public eye where you feel like you can't show your vulnerability, you can't feel, you can't show that things are hard. You know, just because I understand these mindsets doesn't mean things aren't hard. I just know how to navigate them and I can do it a little faster because I've had practice at it. But I, I do think that if we allow ourselves to feel all the feelings, they tend to pass faster. And I compare it to a riptide. So so I call it your emotional riptides. So if you were out swimming in the ocean and you got caught in a riptide, the natural inclination, I would imagine I've never been in this situation, but my natural inclination, I think, would be to like fight against it and try to get out of it. And the truth is that'll help you drown because you won't be able to get out of it and you'll be so exhausted that you can't keep fighting it. And so you'll drown. If instead you were to relax into it, the riptide itself will pull you into calmer waters. And 
I think about that when I'm feeling really sad of if I can just dive into this, I call it being deliciously sad. If I can dive into it, it'll pass. But if I fight it and I pretend I'm not sad or I pretend I'm not angry or frustrated and I try to push it down like a beach ball, then it's just going to burst out at the most inopportune time. And so I think we have to feel all of our feelings. And I don't know about you, but like I get real riled up when Susie Sunshine comes to me and is like, oh, way to find the silver lining in your situation. (laughs) I'm like, listen, Suze, (laughs) you and I can't have a long conversation because I tell people, I'm like, you're never going to convince me that my dad or (laughs) my dad or my husband, you're never going to convince me that my husband died for a good reason. Right. You're never going to convince me that there's a reason he did it. And I don't think for you, I mean, like, I think there's lessons I could have learned without him dying. And if I feel like I had to he had to die for me to learn a lesson. Wow. How self-important would I be? I think he died and I hate it. And I'm not trying to turn that into a silver lining and I'm not trying to like make it in like. I don't know. Like It drives me crazy when people say that kind of stuff to me because I'm like, no, I'm not trying to turn this into something, but I am sharing my story because I think that when we share our stories, we feel a little less alone because somebody yeah. else who's listening to us right now is going through something hard. And what you just said about how sometimes we just want to let ourselves cry is going to let that person cry without beating themselves up, without hiding it. And they're going to feel a little less alone because you and I were willing to have this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. For the person who is like me, they're like, I love this. (laughs) And they're and and they are thinking to themselves, like, how do I have more of her (laughs) in my life? How can they plug into your world outside of this podcast? Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the love. I so appreciate that. Well, obviously, you know, if you're listening to this, you love podcasts. So you can go check out my podcast, which is called All the Damn Things. And I just share in it how you can apply the do the damn thing method to to all the different areas of your life. I tell my own stories. I tell other people's stories. And then my book came out this year. It's called my first book. It's called Your Damn Manifesto. And it is the first step in the do the damn thing method. And it's the most foundational of discovering your yes. So the thing that you want more than anything else right now and your six dimensional why. And that is a critical piece that most people jump right over. So you can get that book and you can listen to my podcast. Amazing. Where is the best place to go for your book? You can get it on Amazon or you can go to your manifesto.com. Amazing. Amazing. You are absolutely incredible. You have brightened my day. Thank you for just being here, for 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 sharing your story, for being so open and honest and, and allowing such a just heartfelt conversation that I truly hope can just impact somebody's life. Uh, just thank you so much, Bevan, for, for being a part thank of Thank you it. for having me. And truly, these are stories I have not told on any other podcast. So I'm so excited that we went different places. So thank you for what you're doing. And I'm honored to be a part of it. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you. And for you, my listener, I hope you are smiling as big as I am. But even more so, I hope that you're thinking to yourself, wow, what profound things that I just heard. 
And maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what? They just gave me the permission I need to cry if I want to cry, to laugh if I want to laugh. I don't have to be dictated by what society tells me anymore. That's what I want for you right now in this moment is to realize that you are the only person that matters right now. And I want the best for you. And this podcast is here to inspire you to get what you need. That's what it's here for. My name is Kevin Lowe. I'm your host as well as transformational life and business coach. This is grit, grace, and inspiration. Get out there and take on the day. Take on the day.